Everything changes in today's marketplace. Technology, competition, staff, and even clients. Everyone is doing business differently than they once did. The challenge many face is keeping up with the change. Welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty with your host, Meredith Elliott Powell. By learning from the insights and expertise of guests like those you'll hear today, you can thrive in ways you never thought possible. Now, here is Meredith Elliott Powell. And welcome to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how the marketplace changes and what this economy does. I'm Meredith Elliott Powell, your host, and I am excited, very excited about today's guest and our topic, Cracking the Curiosity Code, the Key to Unlocking Human Potential. So without further ado, I want to welcome our guest, Dr. Diane Hamilton. She is the founder and CEO of of Tenera, a nationally syndicated radio host keynote speaker, and a former MBA program chair at the Forbes School of Business. She is the author of multiple books, including Cracking the Curiosity Code, The Key to Unlocking Human Potential, which we are going to spend some time um, talking about today, and the creator of the Curiosity Code Index um, Assessment, her groundbreaking work in the area of curiosity. It's required reading in universities around the world and has been endorsed by some of the biggest names in leadership. So welcome, Dr. Diane Hamilton, to Thriving in Uncertainty. Oh, thank you for having me here, Meredith. I'm really looking forward to talking to you today. Well, I am very excited about um, your work. And listeners, you are really in for um, a treat because not only is... um, Diane, brilliant, but she is a very fun guest and a great conversationalist, so I'm looking forward to uh, what we're going to talk about today. But um, something really, when I was doing some research on you, really diving into some things that, um, that you're working on, something really caught my eye, and it was this line that you've got on your website called A Contagious Passion for Improving in- Interpersonal Communication. And I want to ask you about that. I want to start off talking about that because I think communication um, interpersonal communication is something that's getting a bit lost in um, in our society today, and re- and remains so important um, to business. So, where did this contagious passion um, come from, and how did you how did it get ignited? You know, it's interesting to think about where things begin. You know, you just, sometimes you think snowball from the, the beginning. I mean, for me, I started in sales, and when you're in sales, communications critical, you know, it's just if you, I, I started off and I'd look back at some of the things I did and I just cringe because no one taught me to, to communicate properly, really. I, I, I think, um, I could think of a time, I was in pharmaceutical sales uh, when I was really young, like in early 20s, and they, they taught us like these great um, ways to sell, you know, like say this and say that, and you'd have all these products and they'd I can remember I was supposed to call on this one doctor. It was new. It was early, early into my career, and I was all excited to talk to him. And I finally had learned all this stuff, and I knew I was supposed to talk about three products and this big, uh, you know, my mind of what I had to do. And I finally got in to see him, and I I was not expecting to be able to get even through one product, and I got through all three. And I walked out of there just so so happy and proud of myself, like I did it, like 
you know, I conquered the world. And I, I got into the elevator to go down to get my samples, and the door is about to close on the elevator, and this guy walks in with me, and, and I'm an extrovert, and I can't just not talk. So I look at him, and I said, you know, so, so uh, you work in the building? And he looks at me, and he's just mortified because he's this guy I just sold to. I, I never even looked oh. at him. Interacted with him. I just talked right at him the whole time. It was just mortifying. Mm-hmm. It was really awful, and it taught me you know, quite a lesson, you know, about listening and questions and, and the importance of two-way communication and not just talking at someone. And I, I guess through all my experience uh, in sales, I, I was interested in what made people be interested. Um, in becoming into sales and actually be effective at sales. And so I ended up writing my dissertation on emotional intelligence and its impact on sales performance later. And that opened up the world of um, things to study once you understand about emotional intelligence and its impact. So uh, I, I guess I just kind of, now I just get paid to, to be curious and talk and to <laughs> do all those things <laughs> that it just falls into because I have my show and my research and my teaching and my speaking. I, I, I just get to ask questions and share knowledge for a living. So it's kind of fun. Well, so for our listeners, um, talk a little bit about what exactly uh, emotional intelligence um, is. Well, you know, emotional intelligence is defined different ways by different people. I found that out, which was interesting to me. Yeah. But it's basically the ability to understand and recognize your own emotions and think and recognize them in others as well and then interact appropriately based on that. And it, it includes a lot of things that we that fall into that, like soft skills, squishy area of like interpersonal skills and, you know, empathy and, and those types of things. And it, it, it's a huge... Um, topic because so many people struggle with it and uh, you, you know we have leaders who will just shut you down and, and say things that are just you know not conducive to, to exploration and all the things that I ended up uh, studying for emotional intelligence I mean for uh, curiosity as well and when I was writing about curiosity I, I looked at the, the impact you know of different things and I looked at all of the things that people complain about, they want me to come speak about or, uh, you know, want me to consult about. And, and emotional intelligence is one, soft skills, you know, communication, all those things are really big and, and as issues because everybody's got all these uh, problems with expense. I mean, everything's expensive that's costing them a lot of money, I should say. That emotional mm-hmm. intelligence costs companies tens of billions a year and lost uh, revenues and same communication, tens of billions, engagement, hundreds of billions. So, you know, these are really hot topics, and that's why I think I focus on what are the pain points that everybody's experiencing. Um, maybe it goes back to my sales background, looking for their, their pain points. But that, that, I think that emotional intelligence can be the key to um, uh, improving a lot of communication-based issues. Do you think, you know, I've, I've, it's interesting, I think that in the world that we've become more and more and more high tech, I mean, you know, my gosh, I technically can communicate a million different ways with people. I can text them, I can email them, I can, you know, do FaceTime with them. I can, it's, it's almost like this need for emotional connection and intelligence and actual connection has become more heightened. Do you think that's true or do you think that's uh, me just getting old? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think we're, old. we're not getting old. Um, <laughs> I think that uh, I think that there's differences in different generations. You know, they say millennials like to have a 
um, some kind of an attaboy, girl kind of thing uh, seven times a day. You know, I think that they're, they're used to more technology in younger, you know, uh, the Gen Z and Gen Y, or Gen Y is also known as millennials. They, they tend to um, want more of that, I think, than the Gen X and the boomers. But it, it's, it's interesting when you look at all the different um, generations, they have some aspects of... Uh, how much they are uh, even curious or how much communication they want or how much they, it's all different. So uh, I think that technology can make us want more information, but just in smaller bites than we used to be able to take. We're starting to have less of an attention span, <laughs> unfortunately. And so that can be problematic when you're trying to get your message across. And uh, that, that's been really hard for a lot of marketing people. I, I created a brand publishing course years ago with Forbes. And it was like such a challenge just to, to figure out how to, to communicate what you're trying to communicate in the amount of time or at scale and all those things all tie in. And uh, everybody has their unique challenges of how they can reach people. And technology has made it hard because you've got so many choices of how people can right. reach. And there's a, you know, it, it's really challenging. So where did you um, where did you gain interest in in the idea of and term of curiosity? Well, you know, I've always been a really curious kid. I was one of those why 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 kids that drove everybody crazy, and uh, I I always assumed that people would want to know why 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 to everything. And then I started to realize that not everybody is as curious as everybody else. And I, I noticed it a lot when I was teaching. A lot of the kids, or people, I should say, some of them are older than I was, uh, that were in my classes, um, were just kind of going through the motions. They wanted you to give them the fish instead of teach them to fish. They really wanted you to kind of answer things for them and not, they didn't want to put a lot of effort into understanding the foundations behind things. And then I would interview people on my show who were just amazingly uh, curious about everything. They read nonstop. I've, I've interviewed just some unbelievable billionaires and geniuses. I mean, and when you're talking to them, it's just highly evident that they read everything and that they're interested mm-hmm. in so many different things. And so as I thought about it, I thought, you know, I'd written books in the past. I, I wrote a book about personality assessments years ago with my daughter and things about um, reinventing careers and different things in the past. And I thought, well, I've always been interested in personality-based issues since studying emotional intelligence, and I like the thought of assessing things. And I started to think, well, it would be kind of fun to write about curiosity because um, I kept seeing, I was curious about all these people. That's kind of why I wanted to have a radio show because I like to ask people all these questions and learn. It's kind of like getting your free MBA every day, you know? I mean, it's just like you just learn so much, right? So I started to write a book about curiosity just because I was curious of what made people curious. And then I started to think, well, it wasn't enough to write about curiosity. I wanted to know how to fix it for people who weren't curious enough, what I thought, you know, they should be more curious. And, and I thought, well, I, I wanted to look at assessments to see how they're measuring uh, curiosity. And all the assessments just told you if you were curious or not, like kind of a level of curiosity you had, but they didn't tell you what stopped you. And, and that's what I really, um, set me on, you know, into motion of creating the assessment and doing the whole process because I really wanted to find out more how, what's stopping people and how can I fix it. So is curiosity something that some people just naturally 
have? And is it something that can be learned? I realize that was a double question, but I'm, but I'm curious. <laughs> well, curiosity, you know, kids naturally have it. We know that, right? So we know mm-hmm. if you've looked at any of the um, research out there of, uh, I don't know, from like Ken, uh, Sir Ken Robinson's TED Talk, he talks about schools killing creativity, uh, That he, you know, but he talks about how we all had it when we were young, and we, we also have seen um, Professor George Land's presentation about how he created an assessment on, um, cre- uh, you know, creativity as well. Creativity ties into curiosity a lot, but curiosity is the right. to it. And so, you know, in, in Professor Land's research, they looked at children to see where their levels were. And at age five, 98% of them were like these creative geniuses, but, but when they were adults, only 2%. And it, a lot of it is um, what we're teaching them and how we're teaching them and how it changes throughout, uh, you know, their, their lives. And I think what was interesting, I guess when I try to explain what companies don't get um, the you know, how they don't tie it all together of how curiosity is so important. Uh, they all want to fix things like um, making, getting people back to their level as a child, you know, of curiosity. But they, they're, they're thinking they want to do this because it's important for innovation and engagement and all that. But they don't look at it for, at, at the, the base, the spark that leads to it all, uh, of all these things, which curiosity is the spark that leads to that desire to fix all these things. And it's like if you had to bake a cake, uh, let's say you, you mix all your eggs, your you know, your flour, milk, whatever, you know, cake mix for me, <laughs> it's easier, whatever yeah. it is, you put it into a pan, and then you place it in the oven. If you don't turn on the oven, nothing happens, and that's kind of what it is in the workplace. They, they want innovation, they want productivity, so they're working on creativity and, and communication and some of this stuff, but then they don't go back to the beginning of curiosity, which that's the spark, that's the oven. So basically, nobody's eating a cake because <laughs> they never turn on the oven. And so right. that's what I, I like. I like going back to the beginning, going back to what it is that we had when we were kids. I have a picture that I show in my slides I love. It's of um, 1963 in the San Francisco Museum of Art from the Time Magazine uh, they, uh, issue. They have these two little girls that are squat or down on the ground. Uh, squatting, looking through an air vent in the wall, but they're at this unbelievable museum of art with art everywhere that they could be looking at. <laughs> Instead, they want to see what's behind the air vent, right? And that's what mm-hmm. kids have. They have this incredible sense of curiosity of why, what happened, where is it, why it get there, and 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 we lose that through either you know we'll talk about the things that that. Um, you know, impact it later, I guess. But it's just, mm-hmm. it, it's something that I'd like to see more people focus on because I don't think, I think we just take it for granted that we lose it and we're supposed to, but we don't have to. Right. Oh, when, when we come back from break, I really want to dive into, um, into what really makes us, you know, lose curiosity. But we've got a couple of minutes here. And I wanted to ask, so, I mean, obviously, it, you know, obviously, it's, it's important. What impact and why should companies pay attention to curiosity? Why, why does it matter? Well, curiosity is the spark that 
is uh, ignites everything that they're trying to do in the workplace. So if they're losing tens of billions on emotional intelligence or tens of billions on communication, tens of billions on engagement, all those issues, right there, those are huge, huge issues. Innovation, we know that half the jobs today won't be around in 20 years, right? So we want, right. we've got all these people who are not, not engaged that we need to, we would like them to be engaged to begin with, but they're gonna, if they're going to be switching jobs, wouldn't it be nice to find out what they would really like to do? And wouldn't, uh-huh. shouldn't we be asking those questions? And shouldn't they be asking those questions? Because 88% of the Fortune 500 firms that existed in 1995 are just gone, right? And they're gone the way of Blockbuster and Kodak, or, you know, they're just not being innovative. So innovation's huge right now, and engagement's huge, and it all ties into productivity. And, it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's bottom line money. Right, right. So are curiosity and innovation the same thing or more just closely linked? No, I wouldn't say they're the same thing. I, I would say that it's like creativity, um, you know, they, sometimes people will make them seem like they're the same, but they're, they're similar. They, they, it's, curiosity is the spark that leads to creativity. Curiosity is the spark that leads to innovation. I would say curiosity would, you know, make you be um, interested in creating something that would be innovative. So that it's kind of a process that, of where you get to innovation. And once you're innovative, that leads to productivity. So you've got to kind of look at it as a continuum going down the line. And it's almost like the Mission Impossible, you know, light the match. <laughs> you watch the thing burn <laughs> down the road till you get to the end. Um, I think that, um, you know, this idea of um, there's so many things that I think as we get older in life that we watch in, um, in children that, that really would be so valuable in the workplace. I mean, I think about curiosity. I also think about, you know, confidence and, and belief that, um, that, that kids have. And they're just their willingness to just always push and, and go forward. So when we come back from break, I really want to, want to dive a little bit deeper into, um, into curiosity and really begin to explore what we can do, both as leaders to foster it among our employees, but also, uh, but also within ourselves, because I imagine if I'm managing my own career or my own success, that, um, that curiosity is, is going to be, um, it's going to be something that's important that, um, that, that I work with. So um, as soon as we get back, um, back from break, we're going to dive in a little bit more with um, Dr. Diane Hamilton about curiosity, why it matters in the workplace, why it's important for you and for um, your career, and what you can do to tap in to your curiosity. So we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell, author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker. 
Meredith coaches executives, trains next-level leaders, and builds sales teams in our innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answer Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is m-e-r-e at valuespeaker.com. Again, that's m-e-r-e at valuespeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. Welcome back to Thriving in Uncertainty, the radio program where we cover the ideas, share the strategies, and implement the powerful tips you need to ensure you succeed no matter how the marketplace changes. I'm Meredith Elliott Powell, your host, and I am here with Dr. Diane Hamilton, very excited to continue our conversation on cracking the curiosity code, the key to unlocking human potential. So, Diane, I am curious as to why we lose our childlike curiosity. Well, so was I. <laughs> so that's why <laughs> I was very interested in, in researching it. And, you know, what fascinated me was that there weren't assessments to really determine, um, you know, how to get it, what, what's really stopping it. I mean, there's a bunch of really great uh, research in terms of, you know, how education has, you know, reduced our ability to ask certain questions. I mean, we have teachers and and things that have been studied, but there really wasn't um, research as the factors to look for. And so a few years ago, I decided I was going to stick a question in LinkedIn and just ask people what held them back from being curious. And I got all kinds of answers. And the one thing I expected to hear a lot of was fear, which I did. And um, uh-huh. and so I started to think, well, I wanted to develop an assessment to determine what holds us back. And it had to be, I figured it was probably more than just fear. And so I hired uh, psychometric statisticians and I did all kinds of research to get the right questions. And, and what, you know, a lot of them kept wording their questions basically around whether you're curious or not. And that had already been studied. I mean, the big five factors of analysis looks at openness to experience, so that's already really looked at some of the, you know, are you curious or not kind of things. And so I did this for years trying to get these questions to align properly, and I finally 
you know, after a lot of research and thousands and thousands of people, we've we figured out there are four things that keep us from being curious. And uh, fear was one. And the other, uh, I actually came up with an acronym of FATE, F-A-T-E, for fear, uh-huh. assumptions, technology, and environment. So those are the four things that, that keep people from being curious. So um, fear makes sense. I mean, you know, I think yes. I think we all can um, we all can relate to that. But talk a little bit about um, assumptions. Well, before we go through a uh, fear, can I just give a couple examples? Yeah, I think that uh, fear is such a big one for everybody. But it was interesting how they kind of evenly were distributed. It wasn't like fear was so much higher or lower; they were all kind of similar. But um, I had an experience that I like to share because I think it really shows how. Um, leaders can cause people to um, shut down because of fear. Mm-hmm. And if my boss ever listens to this, the, a guy that I had, he's probably <laughs> hearing this story, but um, <laughs> every once in a while I, I bring it up because I think it really uh, tells you uh, the reality of what people do in the workplace they don't know that they're doing. Um, I worked for this guy who was a young guy, and he had to deal with me, who would probably be, you know, overwhelming to begin with because I, I'm <laughs> super loud and super, you know, whatever I am. And uh, he, he, it was an education, and he asked me to do something that I'd never done. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to do that. I'd just never have done that. How do you do that? And he looked at me, and he said, well, I'll pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> and I thought, wow, oh, that was you know, what, what, what a way to shut people down. You know what I mean? That mm-hmm. Either, you know, you're say, you're basically saying, well, that was stupid or, you know, it, it, you, either I'm stupid or my boss didn't, who I had before that was stupid for not teaching me or, you know, pretend like, you know, things you don't know, shut up or whatever it is. You're really shutting people down. And, that is something that a lot of people don't realize that they do. And I actually went to him and told him that I didn't like that he did that. <laughs> I'm sure Good. he wasn't but you're, but that. That's, but that's rare that somebody would do that. It is rare. It's, it's because I'm older. If I was young, I would have never done that. And when I told yeah. him, he was just so stunned that, I, that I, it, it was even something that was a problem or he, that he didn't think it was any big deal that he said it. You could tell. But I think it was really good that I went to him because it changed his idea of that you can't just say stuff like that and there's so many people who who have that ability to overcome fear but people don't always like I had a really you know I've had so many inspiring stories of people who've overcome fear on my show uh I had mm-hmm. Felice Nagambe was was one of the most inspirational people I've ever met she grew up in Africa in this like tiny village with no running water or electricity and she, she had to go to school she had to cross this river with all of her food and clothes and mat and everything she needed for like weeks worth over, you know, on her head as she crossed this river and her all, you know, it became raging if the water became, you know, from storms, it would fill up and her her friends died, but she kept crossing the river because she was just determined to become educated. And she actually became the first ever female vice chancellor at a public university in Zambia. And those are, like, incredible stories, but not everybody's like Felicity right. or Steve Jobs or these people that can do these incredible things because you have to be willing to fail. And if you're not, it's, it's tough, you know. And I've had people say, you know, you, you just have to look at things as, uh, you know, learning lessons, that, that you're not necessarily a failure. You just found, you know, as Edison would say, you found all the ways not to do it, Right. 
So right. it's really, it's so important to, to realize that communication, how we communicate with people, if we're a leader and we say, don't come to me unless you have, with a problem, unless you have solutions, you're saying, I don't want to know the problems because if you're not skilled to tell me the solutions, it doesn't matter. And those kinds of things are holding people back. So just wanted to touch on um, fear for that particular reason because I think it's very important to be humble and express that no question is a dumb question and model that behavior because a lot of leaders are afraid that they're looking stupid as well. I mean, we hear of the imposter syndrome all the time and uh, everybody feels that way. But uh, yeah, yeah. question on... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, no. I was just going to say, I, I, I love this topic because I feel like, um, I feel like we have... Uh, if you don't struggle, if you don't fail you don't ever really achieve because it's, it's even if I'm sitting yeah, in a company uh, yeah. and, and, and I don't speak up, I don't give my ideas, we may be successful as a company, but without it, like you said, you've interviewed so many successful, amazing people. And, and I find that the more people like that I interview, the, more, the one thing they have in common, all their stories are different, but the one thing they have in common is they pushed through some type of struggle. And we have sort right. of come, we've come to a place in, in our world where we kind of started taking it out. And I think it got heightened in 2008 when the economy shifted. You had CEOs and leaders come back in and hold on stronger than they were ever going to hold on because they couldn't let the companies fail. And, and employees just kind of put their heads down and just didn't want to get fired. And, and I just feel like right. coming out the other side of that, we've never really gotten back as comfortable with failure as you need to be to be successful. Yeah, I, I totally uh, agree that, you know, the, the times have changed. And now when I first entered the workplace, failure was you just couldn't fail. You were gone. Now they look at it as learning yeah. experiences. So I, I like seeing that trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But you probably have to be conditioned for failure probably from childhood, right? I mean, you have to be in, a, in an environment where it's, it's, you know, it's okay. Um, it's okay to fail. And, and some of that we've sort of, we've taken out of um, schools and things like that. Well, I think, you know, failure overlaps with some of the other um, things that I research, you know, as far as assumptions, a lot of the assumptions uh, that we come up with, which you had asked me about assumptions, Mm -hmm. That's the voice in your head, right? And that voice could come from failure. It could be when you were a kid, something happened that you didn't like, and now you think you're not going to like it again. Um, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you've seen the thing. Um, there's a, an example of uh, how we let things build up. For example, if I hold up a glass of water to you and I ask you, how heavy do you think this water is? And, you know, people sometimes will yell out 12 ounces, 16 ounces, whatever they can say, right? And then, you know, what I'll say is the actual weight doesn't matter. What matters is how long I hold it. So if I hold it for a minute, it's not going to be a big deal, right? If I hold it for an hour, it starts to bug my arm, and by the end of the day, my arm feels paralyzed and helpless. And that's kind of how our voice in our head is, right? Uh, if, we, mm-hmm. if it just comes in and we let it go, it, it, it doesn't do much. But as we hold on to those assumptions, they start to paralyze us. And we start to tell ourselves we can't do something and that it's too challenging. And, you know, and I've had people on my show who just don't let that voice take over. And, you know, I had Eric Weimayer on. He's, you guys probably all seen him on Oprah and all those shows. He's the the first blind man to hike all the 
summits of the world, and he also river rafted the Grand Canyon. And he didn't let that voice hold him back, but most of us do, you know, because it's scary and fear comes in. But it's, you know, I always think when I hear voices in your head, it makes me think of the Dr. Katz cartoon. I don't know if you ever saw that on Nickelodeon, <laughs> yes, but it was, yeah. a, it, it's, it cracks me up because it was kind of reminding me of the old Bob Newhart show where he's a psychologist, but then all the guests on the show are all comedians and they're on the, the couch and they have their different things they said. One comedian guest who's, the, you know, talking to the psychologist, he goes, I don't mind the voice in my head so much. I just wish it didn't have a list. And, you know, we have these voices in our heads, and they drive us crazy, right? And a lot of us let it um, hold us back because we use the words like bad or uninteresting or too hard or boring, and it's just our perception of what something is. And if we could tell ourselves that something's not positive or negative, it's just a different opportunity that can change that perception. So in the people that you've interviewed and you've talked to that don't let the voice um, get to them, or did they give you any practical tips, anything that they, um, you know, anything that they, they do in particular to, to help quiet um, that voice? You know, a lot of the people who uh, I've been on my show have learned to overcome their voices. I've had a lot of people who are blind on my show for some reason, and I can remember... Uh, I had talked about Eric, but, you know, other people on my show who um, didn't think that they would do that, some of the things that Eric did. He goes, you know, especially the river rafting, you know, he's like, yeah, there's a point where you're going to fall over, hit your head on a rock. I'm not doing that. So, you know, I think that some of them said that their father or their mother or somebody who had a key uh, impact. I remember having Tanner Gares on my show who had a tree branch go through his face. And he felt very sorry for his condition, and he didn't want to do anything. But his father, you know, eventually said, you, you, you've got to get up. You've got to do, you know what I mean? Sometimes it's outside influences. You know, sometimes yeah. it's somebody who really has had, who we really respect. Sometimes you get fed up and sick of things. Sometimes it's just, for me, I think what, what I'm trying to do with this uh, assessment with the Curiosity Code Index is to make awareness of it. I think the problem is most people aren't even aware that they're, they're shutting themselves mm-hmm. down. And that's why mm-hmm. it's important to, to get a baseline measurement, to get a test a, a assessment that tells you this is, this is it. This is what's holding you back, and you don't even know, recognize it. Do you, um, do you have to be uncomfortable to, um, you know, without an assessment? What makes you realize that you're being held back. I mean, you know, a lot of the situations that, that we've talked about, I mean, people have been in extreme cases, you know, and, and mm-hmm. sometimes they look like the darkest hour, but they're some of your, you know, they're your biggest gift. But what I'm taking from this conversation with you is that it doesn't matter if I'm trying to cross, you know, a, a river so I can get an education. If I'm sitting in a, um, in a job that pays me great benefits, but I'm, don't love it. Either one of us, if we unlocked our curiosity, can take our lives to another level. Is that correct? Right. And I think, you know, we've all, I've been there where I had felt like I had the golden handcuffs, but I think that you, you kind of uh, have to ask yourself, where do I want to be in five years? Am I happy where I am? If I'm here in five years, is this really what I'm, I'm, destined to do because you really only have the one time to do all this and as they say when you're dying nobody ever regrets the things they did it's always what they didn't do right so it's something that a lot of people need to ask themselves 
And uh, I don't know if, you know, I, I, I know we still have uh, technology and environment to cover, but yeah. as far as um, assumptions, you know, it's, it's a big part of what holds people back because it, it's so insidious that you don't even realize that you're doing it. Mm-hmm. And and are your assumptions your assumptions? Are they and are they from society? I mean, where do we come up with these assumptions? You know, I think a lot of it overlaps with environment, which we'll cover in a little bit. But um, because okay. everything that you've done and everybody you're around, sometimes your experiences really uh, are a lot of your assumptions or your inexperience. You just what you've heard, what you've read on social media. What, you know, every single thing that you do uh, adds a little bit of that voice to your head. I've done this in the past. I had this teacher. She was awful or he was horrible. And why would I want to study that? It was so boring the last time. I can remember I never liked history in in class. I was awful. I just, it was all memorizing dates to me and I just didn't care about it. But, you know, I went to, um, I saw like Pearl Harbor and then you go, wow, this is just unbelievable that this happened. And then you become more interested and studying something. And I think experience alone can change what you think you, you would or wouldn't be interested in. And sometimes we just have to push ourselves a little bit to read something that we haven't read. Uh, maybe I always read the newspaper on page, just this page. Why not read that page? Why not take this route to work? Why not to, you know, just tweak things, little things that we normally wouldn't do to see how much of it is that we just never thought you could do it that way because you've told yourself that it, it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, the, um, it's, you know, it's, that, I mean, that's such a great point. When I, um, when I was a kid, um, my parents, in an effort to keep all four of us from not competing with one another, decided that we, were all, we would all be good at the one thing, and that would be our thing. It wouldn't be the other child's thing. So um, I, was, I was the athlete. I was not the, uh, I was not the smart one. And, my, and both of my brothers were very good at, uh, very good at math, so, so math was their thing. So I just assumed my whole life I was not good at math. It wasn't, it wasn't mine. And then I went into the banking field, and um, I had to read tax returns and do cash flows, and I thought I'm incapable of doing this. And I'm, I met a great um, uh, gentleman who who taught me how to read them and read them like a read them like a story but i actually became very masterful at doing both and um and it it just is so true when i look at my life and i look at other people's lives and especially working as a coach now how much we just assume something and if you don't push through it then that little voice talks you out of doing anything that you could do Completely. You know, it's, it, that's interesting about the competition thing because I grew up in a very yeah. competitive family where it was you yeah. wanted to compete at, with everything, and that was very challenging since I was the youngest. And by five <laughs> years, my sister was five years older, my brother was eight and a half years older, and you're never going to win if they're that much older, right? But I mean, we bet on everything. You had to who was going to win Miss America or with the Preakness, <laughs> the horse race. I mean, everything was a competition. My dad was absolutely nuts about it to the point that if my brother didn't win in baseball, he'd lock him out of the house. I mean, we had to win. <laughs> and that can be very traumatizing, yeah. you know. And, yeah. and so it, it definitely, but the thing was is that they were very interested in certain narrowly focused things like sports and mm-hmm. uh, history or whatever it was, English or grammar and that type of thing. But if you were interested in something else, then you were ridiculed for not being yeah. interested in what they liked. 
And that was a yeah. voice in my head that does not, you know, good to know this or like that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, it, just amazing. Okay, when we come back from break, we've got um, we've got two more pieces of the um, to to well, probably crack the first layer of the um, of the uh, curiosity <laughs> code. So we will be back in a few minutes with more with Dr. Diane Hamilton. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Are you ready to learn the business strategies you need to succeed no matter what this economy does? Are you interested in learning how the top organizations and how successful leaders are making change work for their companies and using uncertainty as their greatest competitive advantage? Then join the thousands of business owners, sales professionals, and entrepreneurs who have found the answers. Business growth expert Meredith Elliott Powell, author of Thrive, Strategies for Success in Uncertainty, offers powerful keynotes, workshops, and training courses for organizations and leaders of sales professionals looking to take their companies to the next level. Voted a top 15 business growth expert to watch and top 40 motivational speaker, Meredith coaches executives, trains next level leaders, and builds sales teams in our innovative three-step proven system to thrive in uncertainty. To learn more, go to valuespeaker.com. To speak with Meredith directly, book Meredith to speak and learn more about her training programs. That's valuespeaker.com. Visit today. You hear about it all the time. Compromises, destructive malware, major breaches. You can't turn on the news without hearing about the latest cyber event. Learn more about cybersecurity, how it has become one of the most significant threats to our national security, and the battle experts undergo every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Task Force 7 Radio with host George Redis is the voice of cybersecurity around the world. Tune in live every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Thriving in Uncertainty. If you have a question or comment about our program, Meredith would love to hear from you. Her email address is M-E-R-E at ValueSpeaker.com. Again, that's M-E-R-E at ValueSpeaker.com. Now back to Thriving in Uncertainty. Welcome back to our final segment, unfortunately, with Dr. Uh, Diane Hamilton, where we are talking about cracking the curiosity code, the key to unlocking human potential. So, Diane, we have talked about fear. We have talked about assumption. Let's talk about technology and how technology is holding us back. Well, technology is its an interesting thing because, you know, there's generational differences from who was raised with it and who wasn't, and then there's people who overutilize it, people who underutilize it, and I often think of my mom when it comes to technology just because I have to deal with it so much with her, yeah. uh, and she's uh, not definitely from a generation of time frame when technology was great, and I made the mistake of giving her, giving her all kinds of technology, like a computer, Apple TV, and I, you know, she's got an iPhone, she's got just about everything. And, but she's always afraid she's going to break it. She's always afraid that she can't touch it. 
And I remember the first time I gave her a computer, she took the mouse instead of rubbing it on the table. She put it up in the air and waved it, thinking that that's how she moves it, right? <laughs> and she just, it's, it's not really intuitive to her. And I get a kick out of it. But, but she'll call me in this horrible panic, like, every day. Like, and I'll go, well, just look for it. And I'll go, well, where's the start button? Start there. And no matter what I tell her, she'll say, it's not there. And you know it's there, but she won't look, and she just freaks out. And no matter what it is, it's not there. And she's just afraid that something's going to go wrong. And if her AOL doesn't work, help us all, because AOL is her computer to her. <laughs> and if, if the computer doesn't work, That's that means right. AOL doesn't work. And so, she, you know, I'll try talking to her, and I'll think, well, maybe I could see what she's looking at if I call her over FaceTime. And then, but she's like in her 80s and she can't hear very well. So the whole time I'm looking at her ear because she's putting the phone up to her ear. So FaceTime, it doesn't get me very far. I, I made the mistake of trying Zoom with her yesterday and that was wow. But, you know, the funny thing is, is like for 20 years she's had this now that I've given her all this. She still can't copy and paste. But if she receives an email from Publishers Clearinghouse that says she can win a million dollars, she can fill out that form and find out who to send it to, no problem at all. So if she, there's a motivation if there's money involved, and I've learned that. And I think it's really funny how some people just take to, to technology and other people just don't. And my sister's a lot like my mom. She she really doesn't love it like I do. If she has to fix her resume, she'll spend two days trying to figure out how to remove a space from her resume. And I'm thinking, well, why wouldn't you just Google it? And it would take her a, a minute in my mind. But a lot of people right. get overwhelmed by it, right? You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think that some of us have great uh, backgrounds with our introduction to, to technology because, like, Steve Wozniak's born before my sister. He's, you know, the right. co-founder of Apple and Wozniak. He wrote I Was. And Waz writes about his father, how he taught him how to use different parts of things to create different kinds of electronics because his father was in the electronics field. But what was really cool about that is his father wouldn't just have him put things together. He would explain, like, this is why you need a resistor or a cable or this gadget is what, what the thinking is behind it. And he would explain physics to him in a way a child can understand using, like, kid-friendly diagrams and referring to inventors like Thomas Edison and that type of thing, right? So, you know, mm-hmm. it just depends. A lot of it, we're going back to, you know, environment again that we'll talk about next. Is it, Sometimes we have a good experience with technology and we understand the basics, or some of us will just talk to our echo and have it answer everything for us, and we won't have any desire to know that, that foundation. So if you don't know the foundation, you're never going to build the creative, innovative thing that you really need to, to, to build and, and to go to the next level at work. So we want that. A lot of people get discouraged because maybe they've um, just learned how to use the last tech gadget and now they go, oh, now we got a new one. And then it just feels like, well, why should I learn this? Because there's just going to be something else. And you have to just kind of learn that if you don't keep up with the foundations, you're never going to look at potential uses for for the technology for problem solving. And so we, we really want to get in people and employees to, to see the value of um, what they can do with the technology. Yeah, I think and that, a lot of people are held back. I had, a, um, I had gone to a conference, this is probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, and it was 
they had a huge um, piece of it on social media. And we were there learning LinkedIn and Facebook because they were kind of the two powerhouses um, uh, at the time. And a gentleman in the, in the um, room raised his hand. He said, this all seems like a waste of time to me. And the gentleman from the stage said, it absolutely is a waste of your time. You're going you're gonna to waste time like crazy. He said, but if you don't learn to waste time now, he said, eventually Facebook, LinkedIn, and whatever else comes about are going to become mainstream. They're going to become how people communicate what they use. And if you're not right. used to them, if you're not comfortable, you'll be so far behind at that time, you'll never be able to catch up. And I think that's so, it's not that you have to master everything, you have to master learning technology. Yeah, whatever the thing is right now. And, you know, it just reminds me of a conversation I had the other day with a coworker. She was saying, she thought email was the dumbest thing when it came out. And she just she said that they told her that the guys down the hall will now, you know, she doesn't have to go bring the messages um, that she was a receptionist or something, you know, and she was taking messages and they go, well, you don't have to bring them to them now. We just put them into the email. And she goes, well, that's crazy. I was just bring them down the hall. They're just right there. Why would I go through all the trouble? <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's just our perception of technology when it first comes out. When I was in pharmaceutical sales. We used to write all of our notes in notebooks and pad and paper type of thing with pen. I mean, and you know, when the computers came out, the place went crazy. They're like, well, God, this takes forever. Why would I want to type all these notes? You know, and then if you didn't, we, think of how uh, customer relationship management is now. Imagine if you're trying to keep it in pieces yeah. of paper and trying to, to find it. When I watch X-Files and you see those files behind them of all the physical <laughs> files and not, and you think about it, you go, how did the FBI or the whatever ever do all of that when they had to go looking for things? It's just, right, you right. have to keep they, up. Yeah, they had to, they had, yeah, they had to had to look everything. Um, yeah, had to navigate everything. So, right. all right. So we have talked about fear. We've talked about um, assumption. We've talked about technology. And I, I, I want to reiterate this point on technology because I do think it's so important. It's the it's the fact of just being open to staying up with it and getting comfortable with it. You don't have to, you know, conquer everything. But if you don't stay up with the program, you'll fall behind. Let's talk about, um, arguably for me, I think one one that is the most um, powerful um, is environment. Right. And we were talking a little off the air, and this is something that is really huge for me because my family was super, super competitive. And if you weren't interested in what they were interested in, help you because that was they would torment you to death right and I think that a lot of us grew up in families that think that only this is interesting and why would you look at that because that's stupid or you you know I think of um, how much families maybe have are good at answering questions like Wozniak's and others maybe have Mm -hmm. heard you ask why too many times I remember being on a bus in Vail with my husband and there was um, a Hispanic woman and her little daughter were behind us a few seats back on the bus. And the whole way from our hotel to the ski slopes, you could hear the little girl kept saying, Por qué, mamá, por qué? And she's asking her mom, why, mom, why, in Spanish. And I just, it was so cute. You know, I kept listening to it. Oh, that's so cute. And then I turned around and I saw her face. And you could tell the woman had heard it way more times than I had, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> it wasn't quite as cute to her. And we get... You know, it's hard to keep up with that. It's really, it's, it's very challenging. And sometimes families can suck the life out of you, or, you know. And, you know, I, I know um, there's a few examples of people who do the I'll show you thing because their family was so rough on them. But most of them, 
It's not always that easy. I know Elon Musk was one of the few examples that I cite of, uh, you know, having a father that told him you're never going to make anything of yourself and, you know, you're an idiot. He went off and certainly did show him that that he was wrong. But that doesn't happen all the time. And we have a lot of people who can get held back, especially in education. I mean, you go to school and they're teaching certain things are more important than other things. Like math and science is much more important than art and drama or dance or whatever it is, right? And so if your interest is in one area that they don't think is important, that's going to shut you down. Or you're in a classroom with 35 kids all saying why at the same time. The teacher can't go and do that. They have to teach to the test. They have curriculum. There's so many things. And then, you know, we have social media. If you post something, you want people to like it. You don't want to be the weird one out. If your friend likes something, you don't want to be the one who doesn't like it. There's just so much that we learn from um, just everybody in our lives that, that, that ties back to that, that monologue that we create in assumptions in our mind. And it ties back to what we're afraid of because our family made fun of us or our friends didn't think it was cool. You know, all this stuff. And that boss of mine, he was an environmental factor. He told me, you know, I'll pretend I didn't hear that. That led to my fear. So, you know, it all overlaps to some extent of all these things that we avoid doing because of past experience that has led to the voice in our head that leads to fear. Uh, you know, they, they all interact. And that's what I was trying to do um, when I created the Curiosity Code Index was to give you your baseline, show you that these are these different factors that have held you back. So what I do is I have people take this assessment that gives them 36 questions um, that basically uh, they have the four areas, each have nine questions under each, and you can find out which parts of fear, what parts of assumptions, what parts of technology and environment are impacting you, and then you can create a plan for overcoming them uh, based on like almost a SWOT analysis where you look at your weaknesses and your threats and you take a look at some of these things that uh, you can create actionable ways to, um, measurable ways to overcome them. And what's also great um, when they do this in organizations, there's a couple different exercises they do. They also create a plan for leaders to give them to say, here's what we would like to see for you to help us uh, overcome our problems with engagement or innovation based on helping us develop curiosity. And it gives it uh, leaders and HR people, you know, from the horse's mouth, basically, here's how what I'd like, here's, and yeah. please help me. So you have definitely gotten our listeners curious. How do they find out more about you and more about the Curiosity Code? Well, they can go to curiositycode.com to find out more about the Curiosity Code book or, you know, and, and assessments all there. To find out more about me, it's at drdianehamilton.com and all, all the social media on Dr. Diane Hamilton. Well, if you are not following Dr. Diane Hamilton, you need to follow Dr. Diane Hamilton. It has been amazing to have you on the show today. I definitely want to have you back again. I feel like we have scratched the surface of what we need to um, talk about. And again, I want to thank our listeners for joining us for Thriving in Uncertainty. Come back next week. We have another exciting show that delivers the strategies you need to turn uncertainty into your greatest competitive advantage. (laughs) 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Thriving in Uncertainty. Please join your host, Meredith Elliott Powell, for another program next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. This week, embrace the change in your business and yourself. 